Hello, and thank you all for joining us today on our first ever live podcast episode of Decoding Cancer, the series that aims to answer your cancer questions from the Irish Cancer Society. And to everyone listening on Spotify, Apple Pods, and wherever you get your podcasts, you're very welcome. Uh, it's been another great series and a chance to connect with you all on a wide variety of cancer topics, cancer research in particular. And we've touched on everything from nutrition and exercise to misinformation and cancer, famous Irish cancer breakthroughs, and why cancer is so hard to treat. The last episode of this uh, series is about immunotherapy, where we'll be looking at how it works, who it benefits, and exciting developments in the field. Uh, and our live audience will also post some questions in the Q&A box, which is at the bottom of your Zoom screen. Here to help me break it all down are two great guests in the form of Seamus Cotter, who took part in a clinical trial of immunotherapy after receiving a diagnosis of stage four lung cancer in 2016, and Dr. Jerush Ginadu, a cancer doctor from Beaumont Hospital who specializes in the treatment of lung cancer and has herself had much involvement in the development of immunotherapy and clinical trials. So thank you both very much for joining us today. So uh, let's let's get the ball rolling anyway, and um, we'll get straight into it. I think maybe we might talk to Seamus first, bring Seamus in, if that's okay. When you were first diagnosed, Seamus, about, what, five years ago, uh, you were given a prognosis, which was fairly scary. Do you want to tell us a bit about that, and uh, I suppose how immunotherapy has impacted um, your care and your outcome since then? Thanks, Rob. Um, yeah, the diagnosis in 2016 was uh, was a devastating blow, um, not just to myself and my family, but also to the extended family. I was initially told that the prognosis for stage four lung cancer was about 18 months. But because of my age, uh, I should do better than that. I was a smoker eight or nine years beforehand. And I had hoped that given the time I was off cigarettes, that I would have, it would have been enough to miss getting cancer. My oncologist in Galway University Hospital had told me that there was one other possibility aside from uh, chemotherapy. And he enlisted me on an immunotherapy clinical trial. He did warn me that there was a, a lot of criteria that had to be met before being accepted on the trial um, and that there were several strands of treatment that I could be put on if I was accepted. One of the criteria was that a biopsy sample was tested for a protein. If that protein was positive, I would be in. And if it was negative, I would be out. Simple as that. Eventually, it was confirmed I was accepted on the trial and I was to receive two immunotherapy drugs, one every two weeks and the second one on every third visit or every six weeks. I have to say the clinical trial team in Galway were great. They were very thorough in explaining everything about the way a clinical trial works uh, and the necessary paperwork that goes with that. Um, and I signed up for the trial for two years of treatment. Uh, and I have to say the care from the Galway team was second to none. I was monitored very closely and every ache or pain was investigated. The trial itself wasn't that difficult, or the treatment itself. When compared to chemotherapy, 
I would I would say that the persistent side effect during the first year was fatigue, which you learn to manage and live with. But after about two months of treatment, I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism. I received some medication and continued on the trial. And three months later, through now very regular blood tests, my thyroid stopped working altogether and I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism, for which I'm on daily medication now for the rest of my life. In, in December of 2016, I had been scheduled for a CT scan, but I hadn't been feeling well for a few days beforehand. Um, and I had stayed in bed because I was so weak. On the day of the scan, my wife and I agreed to make the effort to travel about an hour's drive to the scan center, as we thought it important for the clinical trial. We made it most of the way, but I knew I wouldn't have been able to lie still for the scan and asked my wife to bring me directly to A&E. There, thankfully, when I got seen, when I had been seen, I understand that some bright young doctor put the pieces of the puzzle together and linked the immunotherapy treatment with adrenal insufficiency or Addison's disease. Addison's disease is a rare condition where the adrenal gland doesn't produce sufficient cortisol, the stress hormone, for day-to-day -day control of the metabolism. It was necessary that I start learning about the disease as it's life-threatening where an Addisonian crisis can happen when you have a physical stress like an injury, an infection or, or even an illness. And when a crisis does happen, it's immediately uh, to hospital. So you've seen the, the I suppose, the benefits, um, Seamus, as well as, you know, potential consequences and that. Would that be fair to say? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. The, the, the benefit was that after about eight months of treatment, I, uh, my scan, my first scan was clear. Uh, you know, so that's a fantastic result coming from the initial, the initial diagnosis. But the, the downside, I suppose, is that there, there has been side effects, uh, serious side effects. Now, I can manage with them. I can live with them. I take tablets to, to manage the conditions and um, carry on with life as normal. Well, it might be appropriate now. And again, I'm very grateful to Dr. Nadu for um, joining us to maybe uh, explain a little bit more about the background and some of the context that Seamus has explained from his own experience here. So maybe could you help us understand a few things about immunotherapy? And, and I suspect if people are tuning in on this particular topic, they have more than a passing interest in it. So what is immunotherapy? What does what does the term mean to the average lay person? Yeah, thanks very much, um, Rob, for the invitation to speak. And of course, to Seamus, who uh, places this all in context for us. So in general, immunotherapy is a term for different groups of medications that are intended to help our immune system to become an anti-cancer agent. 
So there are a number of ways in which our own immune systems can potentially uh, combat cancer. And over the years, lots of different approaches have been used to try to to make our immune systems an anti-cancer weapon. So this actually is a very old concept. And one of the original observations that was made many years ago is in patients who had surgeries, who developed infections after their surgeries, they appeared to have, for some reason, better outcomes from their cancers. And uh, some early studies were done actually injecting some patients with low-grade infections to try to stimulate this, um, this response against the cancer. And really what was what was being recognized there was that certain parts of our immune system, so certain cells, were able to recognize the cancer as foreign and attack those cancer cells the way one might attack other foreign invaders, such as infections. So there are many different classes of immunotherapy agents. For example, there are anti-cancer vaccines, there are um, special infusional treatments, there are special treatments where we even can genetically engineer our immune cells to fight cancer. But the probably the group of, of agents that have been most effective across many different cancer types, including lung cancer, are what's called immune checkpoint inhibitors, which are what Seamus was treated with um, as part of that clinical trial. And what immune checkpoint inhibitors are is they are special medications that remove a break from our immune system. So right now, many of our immune cells go around our bodies. They, they might see cancer cells, but for some reason, they don't recognize them as foreign. And one of those reasons is the cancer cells express a special molecule on their surface, a special protein called PD-1. And that protein means that our immune cells don't recognize that our cancer cells are foreign and they go past them and leave them alone. But what these drugs do is they block that molecule, that PD-1 molecule, and all of a sudden our immune cells are now awakened and attuned to the fact that these cells are invaders. They're cancer cells. They're not meant to be there. And so our, our immune cells specifically our T cells, then go and attack those cells once that molecule PD-1 has been, has been taken out. And there are similar molecules like PD-1 that will help our immune systems to recognize cancer better. And these are simple infusional medications, so given as a drip treatment over maybe half an hour to an hour. And as Seamus explains, what's interesting about them is in general, they appear to be a lot more tolerable than standard chemotherapy. And in lung cancer, for example, it's only about 10 to 20% of patients that will get any kind of side effect. And this is quite different to chemotherapy where those number, numbers are double or more. However, they cause a spectrum of side effects that are very different to chemotherapy because they work in this unique way. So essentially our immune response is now being heightened as a result of these treatments. And in doing so, this can cause inflammation in normal parts of our body, such as the glands that make hormones, including the adrenal gland, the thyroid gland, which is what uh, Seamus explained to us that he experienced. So would it be fair to would it be fair to say then that we're kind of using medicine to engineer the immune system and, and give it better 
anti-cancer capabilities. Would that, would that be a fair summary, I suppose, of what you've said? It's a fair summary, exactly. But there is sort of another side to it where our immune systems can tip the balance and become a little bit overactive in terms of the side effects. So has great potential for benefit and and a, a potential, thankfully a rare potential, to cause immune side effects. So it, it, it kind of sounds almost miraculous as you say it. So why aren't we using this for everybody or can everybody make use of immunotherapy? Can it be used in every cancer? Yeah, so that's a great point. So it can. Uh, so this class of agents has shown been shown to have activity across a number of cancer types. So now there are over fifteen, um, you know, nationwide approvals, FDA, EMA for different kinds of immunotherapy agents. However, it doesn't mean that it will work the same um, or necessarily work in the same way in every single cancer type, and that's because the environment around where some of these cancers develop means that sometimes immune cells can't necessarily get to an area. There may be other molecules that are blocking the activity of some of these agents. There's a lot of work going into why some cancers appear to respond better than others. But in general, in oncology, we're very excited about these treatments because they do appear to work across a number of cancer types, such as lung cancer, bladder cancer, head and neck cancer, melanoma, esophageal cancer, And many of these cancers have suffered from not having very good treatments for for many years. So I think the answer is unfortunately a little bit nuanced. Lots of cancers can respond, but the degree to which they respond and how long they respond appears to be different. So Seamus, to to bring it back to you, I I imagine there were a lot of discussions and and immunotherapy was a bit newer, I think, when you were offered it as part of your care um, as well. So maybe bring me through a little bit of, of your thoughts about getting into that. And, and you were involved, I think, in a clinical trial, I think you said as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't per se an established uh, treatment to a care at, at, at that time, uh, although it, it has become more established for certain types of lung cancer. So could you maybe bring us through the kind of conversation that you had and I suppose your thoughts on, on those kind of clinical trials and, and being involved in that? Yeah, I suppose the when you stand back and look at it, the the decision really wasn't that difficult. On standard of care treatment, the prognosis was poor. And we decided to take the opportunity that was given to us. Um, clinical trials were explained to us very well, how they were managed, how, how we, uh, as a patient, we'd be taken care of. And we, myself and my wife, reviewed everything and, um, you know, we took the opportunity. So how did you actually get involved in a trial? And I suppose, what was your thinking about, you know, being involved in a trial as opposed to, you know, conventional therapy or the kinds of medicines that maybe you'd heard from other patients who were in the the same lung cancer clinic as you? Um, I think... I was in a I was in a general clinic. I had no experience of lung cancer. Uh, I didn't know of any other lung cancer patients, and it was a, it was fairly straightforward that it was it was either chemotherapy, which we'd all be familiar with the illnesses and the side effects from that uh, of the treatment itself, or to go on the immunotherapy trial. 
we we read up as much as we could and educated ourselves ourselves as best we could about immunotherapy. And I suppose Jeruska explained what immunotherapy was uh, very well for people who are familiar with the technical details. But I suppose one what how we simply explained it to other people was we we told them it puts the immune system into overdrive and when it's in overdrive it can see the cancer and attack it and you know to to be at the cutting edge to receive the treatment and with a good probability of a positive outcome we we grabbed a chance and can you say a little bit more about um, clinical trials? Who who did you do the, the trial with? And I suppose your feelings now on clinical trials, because I've heard you speak a few times now about trials themselves and about, you know, trial access for people in Ireland and, and the, the the thinking and the needs in that space. Yeah. So the, the clinical trial was run through Cancer Trials Ireland. And um, Cancer Trials Ireland has a group of um, patient representatives that um, form a patient consultant committee. And in that committee, uh, we're, we're structured so that each one of us is represented in, in a lung type. And I meet with Jeruska and the lung group and a, a number of different specialists who have interest in clinical trials. Clinical trials themselves are are very important for for testing of new treatments. You know, there, there's a lot of administration and regulation that goes into the creation of a clinical trial. But the clinical trials are always new developments, new methods of possibly mixing existing treatments together. And... Um, you know, they're, they're the way forward. At the moment, there's only about 2 to 3% of cancer patients who are on clinical trials, but it's one of Cancer Trials Ireland's uh, ambitions to at least double that uh, in the near future. I, th- I think that's a national ambition as well, although we've been, yeah. we've been badly hit by underinvestment, then COVID and then the cyber attack. So we're starting to get some questions in now and we'd be very grateful for any other questions. And I have a great one in here that I think I need both of you to help me answer, actually. So it's a a question. Uh, Seamus, do you feel it was very lucky, uh, your situation, that when you went to A&E, that that a bright spark, as you say, um, put two and two together? So were you you lucky from that perspective? And then the corollary, the the additional bit, uh, maybe for Dr. Nadu to address is, um, whether the wider healthcare community are primed. So, Seamus, your perspective first as someone who was who was yeah. quite unwell by the sounds of it going into accident emergency. Uh, that's right. So, so there's actually two ways of answering this. The first way is to say, of course, I won the lottery that day. If that hadn't been diagnosed at the time, I would have become more and more ill and the consequences would have been very poor. The other way to, to answer it is that it, it wasn't down to luck. It was down to the excellent clinical staff that they have in Galway University Hospital. That doctor received the proper training. He was up to date on uh, advanced treatments and their side effects. And he was, he was there to help me when I needed it. 
and, and um, thankfully, uh, thankfully was, and I'm not sure that people really appreciate um, the the great skill that we have among our oncology colleagues, our our cancer colleagues, doctors, uh, nurses, uh, radiologists, and lots of other professionals. Drushka, I might go to you then for the second part of that. Uh, given given that these are sort of newer therapies, do you feel that there's widespread knowledge as to some of the differences and the implications of these therapies? For, for those like Seamus who might be seeing consequences and side effects? Yeah, I think that's a great point. To be honest, I think I think we have to recognize that this is a new skill set. So as we give new treatments and we learn about not just how they work, but how they may affect other organs in the body, this requires us to, to upskill and to know in what sense we need to work with our colleagues who are specialists in those areas as well. So I think one of the most important things to recognize about immunotherapy is that the toxicities generally, thankfully, are rare, but when they happen, they can be very dramatic and very complicated. And in order to be attuned to diagnosing those well, you have to, as Seamus said, be aware of them, first of all. And it's great that, you know, that doctor on that day was aware that this can happen. And the second is we need to have established relationships between the different specialists talking to each other to manage these appropriately, particularly if patients develop one or two toxicities that may have may be managed in competing ways. So one of the areas that you know I developed when I was at Hopkins was to develop a multidisciplinary team around this. So to create formal mechanisms by which oncologists are speaking to specialists, as what we often see is sometimes an individual may see one particular case, but that doesn't necessarily mean they may may be up to date on all of the new ways that those toxicities may be managed. So having a specialist, even for the country, who has you know an interest, both from a research and a clinical perspective in this, can help us all and help to to literally rise the tide that lifts all boats when it comes to some of these rare but sometimes very serious side effects. So we've a, a couple of good uh, additional questions there as well. One of the things I suppose we can't ignore is the uh, the elephant in the room, as it's referred to here. So how expensive are these uh, medicines? What kind of implications do they have on our healthcare system, on a system that kind of grew up in the 60s and 70s where you are largely relatively quickly cured or not. So what what kind of consequences does immunotherapy have economically? And I suppose for the wider uh, healthcare, uh, I suppose, bandwidth um, to be able to treat those with cancer. I suppose I, I I can I can take that. That would be a mean question for Seamus. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, I think that this is this is a global oncology problem, and it's not really a challenge that necessarily is specifically related to immunotherapy. I think it's related to the fact that that cancer treatments. And not just treatments, actually diagnostic testing as well is becoming much more complex. And for that reason, some of the testing platforms, some of the treatment platforms have all become quite expensive related to a number of factors, related to the research and development that goes into bringing some of those advances to us means that some of these are expensive. And then, of course, there are there are economic um, implications for when a drug is approved in, in other areas around the world that sets a sort of benchmark as to what what willingness there is to pay for a particular agent. 
And many of the um, you know, major oncology societies around the world, ASCO in America, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ESMO in Europe, the European Society of Medical Oncology have acknowledged that this is a major challenge. And in doing so, have come up with certain metrics to, to integrate the clinical benefit that a, a drug can, can bring to a patient and to the community um, and, and to the world at large, as well as the economic impact to create sort of a score and a priority score. And there are ESMO scores, there are ASCO scores that help us to, um, to prioritize which agents and in what settings something is, is truly a, a priority agent and in other jurisdictions where we might need to rethink and also some very cogent ways to approach reimbursement that might be a little bit more creative, but necessary. For example, the use of biosimilars, um, agents that are similar, have similar efficacy, but are made at, at a reduced cost, and also ways in which to work with our pharmaceutical partners. For example, patient access schemes, where patients may get the first couple of cycles of treatment at a cost price or even for free, but then continued therapy may come at a cost. I think we need to think about all these things as oncology therapies and, and, and diagnostics are becoming a little bit more expensive and more complex. So we're going to need to wrap up here um, fairly soon, but I, I might give the last word um, to you, Jerushka. I think we've, we've had, a, I suppose, an eye on Irish research and Irish activity throughout the podcast through the great support of, of people up and down the country, the, the Irish Cancer Society is able to support the work of Cancer Trials Ireland. We're able to partner with um, important advocates like, like Seamus and, and yourself um, and work together. And, and I suppose you've kind of hinted at that as well, that immunotherapy is changing how medicine needs to be um, delivered. But what are the new developments that are coming down the line that you see in terms of some of the trial work that, that you're involved in, say, in Cancer Trials Ireland, or, you know, where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years? I suppose to give us that aspiration for what might be out there for ourselves and, and, and for Seamus. So I think I'll highlight three main areas that I think are up and coming. The first, I would say, is combinations. I think we, we have now established that immunotherapy is a standard of care for many cancers, including lung cancer and melanoma. But we want to up that game. We, we know that it, it will benefit a subset of patients, but unfortunately not as big a subset as we would like. So using two immunotherapy medicines together, using an immunotherapy medicine with another medicine, be that a chemotherapy or some other new agent, is definitely where clinical trials are now and I think where they will be expanding in the next five years. So I think that's a major area of growth. The second is, as I mentioned previously, is advances in testing. So I think now, particularly, for example, in lung cancer, because of advances in how we can do genomic testing for lung cancer, we now recognize that lung cancer is not one disease, but is composed of many different subsets that should be treated differently. And I think in the next couple of years, it is going to be absolutely imperative that we bring advances in our understanding of the biology of cancer through better means of testing to help us bring the right treatment to the right patient. So to work smarter rather than harder. 
And then the last thing I think is to use some of these new technologies to monitor how patients are doing. So for example, there is now a technology where we can test the DNA of um, that is detectable and shed into the bloodstream in patients with cancer and maybe able to use that as a marker for how active the cancer is in the body, which may be able to supplement radiologic imaging. So I do see that some of these technologies are going to be integrated into clinical practice and used in ways to tailor how we treat patients and help to inform them a little bit better. So that's where I see cancer is going. And I think it won't just be an investment in treatment, but it hopefully will be an overhaul of how we think about cancer and monitor it going forward. Well, th thanks very much. And I hope that gives Seamus and, and the rest of us some cause for optimism and, and maybe sketches out where the future might go and where we can all contribute. So we need to wrap up, unfortunately. Um, we could probably talk about this for, for days on end from, from the experience uh, that you both bring um, to, to such a, an important and emerging topic. Very grateful to you both for joining us again today. Um, it's been another brilliant series. So I just want to thank you all, uh, all of the guests, all of the people who've tuned in to our podcasts over the past few series and those of you who've joined either on the webinar or are listening uh, to the podcast. If any of our listeners would like to find out more and support the vital research funded by the Irish Cancer Society, you can visit www.cancer.ie and you can tweet your thoughts and episode ideas using the hashtag DecodingCancer. We've gotten many of our great ideas from people just getting in contact and asking us about particular topics they'd love to hear in our series. And we may uh, look to do this again. As always, anyone who would like help or advice on any of the topics we've touched on today or throughout the series can contact our dedicated Irish Cancer Society support line on free phone 1-800-200-700 or email supportline at irishcancer.ie to speak to one of our specialist cancer nurses. I'm Dr. Robert O'Connor and it's been a great pleasure talking to you all over the last six episodes and indeed the last two series. I hope you've enjoyed it and watch this space for more in the future.